LinkedIn presents. If you want to like teach yourself this skill, there's a couple of things. First, you really have to tread the line between just brute force trying to solve problems by like learning one little small thing and bailing on the problem you're trying to solve and going back and spending focused time learning the concepts that are necessary to do it correctly. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing. The wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. So today, I have on John Davenport. And John is very interesting because John does have a degree. But the only reason he got on because his business partner does not have a college degree. But... He does have a very interesting story, and he's going to share how his journey went and how he doesn't use his degree today. So, John, let's start. So what'd you get your degree in? Computer engineering. Computer engineering. Why'd you choose that? Actually, because my grandfather was a, like, he was an electrical and computer engineer, and I wanted to make him proud. Okay. So what happened after you graduated? When I was in college, I hated software and I thought it was dumb. So I focused real hard on hardware. And my first job out of college was with an electronics company. So I was doing like design. And then after a while, I did obsolescence management for a while. I kind of hated it. Like it was really not for me. Why wasn't it for you? I did not enjoy the corporate path and I did not enjoy the, like when I was young, I got the, you know, the story from my parents that the way this works is that you go and you get an education and then you get a job on the same path as your education and you stay in that job and like have a career. And that was not for me. It was not for me from the very beginning. So I got my degree and started working in 2005. And then around 2013, I started getting involved in entrepreneurship because like that, for whatever reason, that spoke to me. So like the first thing that I actually got into was a a food truck with a friend of mine, which collapsed spectacularly. And then around the same time, I met these, I met these people who were taking a, uh, like a building automation product to market. So I started working with them. As it turns out, that one also failed spectacularly. I failed out of that one in about 2015. So that's kind of how I got the degree and then figured out that that trajectory was really not for me and then bailed on it and started doing something else. Wow, that's cool. So what happened next after 2015? Like I said, it crashed and burned spectacularly. Like by the time it was over, uh, I was six months behind on a mortgage payment for like Basically, I owned this house and I was using the rent payments to live off of and not paying the mortgage. My car was on the repo list. And so like I literally gave up. I moved back in with my mom. I took a loan from my grandmother to like pay off all the bills. And I just like looked around in sort of my inventory of skills that I had built from working on that startup. And I decided that working in IT would be the best like next step for me, 
because I had like learned all this stuff about how to build servers and like set up offices and host a website and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, okay, I enjoy this. So I started applying for IT jobs. I landed an IT job with a, with a manufacturing company. And it was just like, this was literally all just stuff that I had learned from reading online and getting people to like teach me stuff. And, uh, so I started and that was, I was actually really successful in that job that that went really well for me. So it's kind of interesting how I got my degree in something and got on a path and was very, very unsuccessful at it. And then just took like a self-taught skill that I picked up on the internet and started building a pretty successful career out of that. And how'd you pick up those skills? Just for example, they were like, John, you need to set up an office network so that we can like have a demo room for this product we're trying to show off. And so I got like a buddy of mine was involved in, in IT. And so like, I actually paid him a little bit of money to come in and show me how to start setting stuff up. And so like, you know, I learned how to set up a windows domain and how to set up a network. And very generally along the way, I've had people like help me get started on things, but mostly I just teach myself by reading stuff on the internet. Yeah, no, the internet is a wonderful place. Now, do you, are you more just Googling things? Are you looking at YouTube, forums, Stack Overflow? What are the places that are your favorite? I generally lean on uh, technical documentation. For example, when I was learning VMware, most of what I learned came from the technical documentation that VMware has on the internet. So for learning fundamentals, I focus on technical documentation. And then for solving specific problems, I focus, I use like Googling Stack Overflow and stuff like that. Technical documentation is one of the most underrated things. I worked for a company and they had like the technical documentation and it was such a good guide that, yes, some things would get tough, but if you start Googling things on top of it and you slowly work through it and then you can understand it, they, it really lays out the guide. So I was going to say like, I significantly believe that Publicly available technical documentation has powered the technological innovations and like revolutions that we've seen in the last couple of years. Because like one of the things that I came to and like I see this now, like I have friends on LinkedIn who are in like Africa or India and they have the same level of access to this technical documentation as I do. And so like I've watched people that I've mentored go out and like consume all this technical documentation and actually build themselves like pretty successful little, I don't know if you would call it career, but like consulting gigs and other stuff that they can get just out of learning stuff from technical documentation. I think it's huge. And it actually, it inspired my first two products were shipped for technical writers. Wow. That's amazing. And you know, the other thing is technical writing is something that's in demand. Like most people want to be software engineers and mm -hmm. all that. I mean, you can learn a little, but we need good technical writers and there's a value in it. And a lot of people are just not good at it. When even my current employer, like I do, even like I have a software engineering job right now, but they want me to write technical documentation because no one wants to, no one is good at it. And the value of it is like through the freaking roof. So get into technical writing if you want to get a career that pays well and will always be in demand, right? Yeah. So you started getting on the tech side, like the software side, mm -hmm. and you know, you're know you really leveling up. Now, how is that growth trajectory? 
2016, when that building automation startup collapsed, what I realized as we were going through this, like, because one of the things that I always advocated for at that startup was like, okay, guys, everybody's making big money in software. Like that's where the money is. We need to figure out, because they had both hardware and software, I was like, we need to figure out how to make our software work independently of the hardware because it's going to be easier to sell, easier to implement, and the economics of it are much better than hardware. And they didn't really pay attention to that. But the thing that I learned is that if you want the money, get into software. So. In 2015, 2016, I started teaching myself how to write software the same way, right? Like I had a buddy, he got me started on Python. I took the course on Code Academy. I started trying to build stuff. I started learning more. So like that's that's how I originally got into software was just realizing that like the economics of it were very good and realizing that was a skill that I wanted to that I wanted to learn. Like my goal for the last seven years has been to learn how to build and ship my own, build and sell my own software. What are some of the struggles that you had with this, right? Because people go and like, hey, I'm going to watch YouTube and I'm going to ship the world's biggest software. What's the realistic path? Here's what's real. So, and I made this mistake many times and continue to make it in my like journey to, to build and sell my own software is I'll be like, okay, I'm going to solve this problem. And I would start banging out code and like I would run into problems and I would Google it and then I would bang out more code, Google, code, Google, code. And I would come back and it would be a big pile of crap that was never going to turn into a product. So what really changed things for me is when I started saying, okay, I'm not going to try to solve the problem at hand. I'm going to focus specifically on developing my fundamentals and learning. So if you want to, if you want to like teach yourself this skill, there's a couple of things. First, you really have to tread the line between just brute force trying to solve problems by like learning one little small thing and bailing on the problem you're trying to solve and going back and spending focused time learning the concepts that are necessary to do it correctly. Yeah. I think you need to take your time. And I find that working on smaller things first, tackling those intricacies allows you to understand just how hard things can be. I think that's a really good suggestion. And I'll tell you that I never do that. I always choose to ship things that I am not capable of shipping today. I think that's another line that you have to tread is you got to be like, okay, I need to pick a problem that's small that I can actually do so that I can build my confidence as a developer to get things done versus like, I'm going to pick something that is huge and unobtainable and I'm just going to have to figure it out all the way through. And like, I'm still doing this today. Yeah. No, I I find that sometimes like, you know, creating a little plugin because then you realize, okay, what do I have to do? Oh, how do I get a plugin approved? What are the issues? Does it violate terms of service? Et cetera. Or like even, can I ship a small, because like, I'll tell you this, man, software development and application development are different. Oh, how? Like, tell me the differences. Software development is just about hammering out some code that does a thing. Application development is about understanding 
what someone needs to solve a problem, translating that into reasonable technical requirements, writing the least amount of software that's required to solve that problem, and writing it in a way that is readable and maintainable so that you can actually get the thing shipped and then continue to work on it in the future. So like there's actually a big step with lots of skills between knowing how to write software and knowing how to ship applications. There's a lot of other stuff that's involved. Can you go into some more detail on that? Well, and this will also go into uh, one of my other pointers. Like if you're an early software developer and you're trying to ship applications, I highly recommend that you spend some time looking at the different technology stacks and figuring out which one requires you to know the least and handle the least amount of complexity. Because now we get into what's the difference between software engineering and application development? Okay, if you want to ship an application out of the door and you don't work for a big company, you're going to have to do some product management. You're going to have to do user interviews. You're going to have to understand a problem. You're going to have to translate that into technical requirements. That's a skill set. You're going to have to understand how to get that application into production reasonably. That's the DevOps skill set. And like that is about like managing AWS, structuring container builds, configurations, networking and routing. That's a whole other ball of wax that's not software engineering. But at the same time, you can pick tech stacks that make it so you don't have to do all that stuff. So what are some tech stacks that you would say are easier in general? I've given this a lot of thought because I started out with Python, Python and JavaScript. This is the traditional way to ship a full stack web app is that you're going to write your backend in Java, Python, Go, and then you're going to write a front end in JavaScript. Okay, so now let's start talking about that. You have to figure out how to deploy your backend. You have to figure out how to package your front end. You have to write the front end. You have to write the API boundary in the front end. You have to write the API boundary in the back end. You have to figure out, because JavaScript deployment is different from backend deployment. So you have to develop two separate, complete DevOps skills. And you have to do like two to three times the amount of work that's like required to actually write the code because you have to make these two things talk to each other. So here's what my opinion is. If you're an early software developer, people are going to tell you, learn Python, learn JavaScript. And they're not wrong. Those are good technologies to get started with as a beginner. They will help you learn control flow, syntax. It's easy to get started. But when you go from beginner to mid and you start having to make a lot of engineering choices, the amount of complexity that's contained in JavaScript and Python is very, very high. So you can be like, I have to figure out what HTTP server I'm going to use for my Python backend. And there's like five of them. And if you're a mid, you don't understand the implications of that choice. And you're probably not going to make the right one. And it's probably going to cause your application development to peter out in like a month because you made bad choices at the beginning. So the stack that I use and recommend 
is the Elixir Phoenix LiveView stack because you don't actually have to ship a client application to build reactive web apps. And the way that Elixir is set up is that there aren't choices. Like there's just one HTTP server. You don't have to choose one. There's only one web framework. You don't have to choose one. You don't have to write client-side code, so you don't have to make all those choices. So if you pick the right tech stack that doesn't allow you to make choices, then you expose yourself to a lot less mistakes. That's good to know because uh, I've never heard of those stacks. But, you know, because it's always like, hey, learn Python and JavaScript and that's it. And it's great. Python is a great scripting language. JavaScript is a great client side language. I'm great at JavaScript. I use it every day. But when it comes time to like ship a full stack application, I ain't doing all that. It's too much work. That is for big companies with big teams. It's not for me. Like I'm one guy and to get an application out of the door, it has to be fast and easy and simple. So you're in the process of building an application and you partnered with someone without a college degree. How was it or how is it? And like, what are you learning from him? So let's roll this back. Okay. Around August, September of last year. So I had a kid recently and I have shipped like five applications. I've shipped two applications into production. Actually, I guess now it's six, four applications into staging. Several of those are sitting in staging for business reasons, not technical reasons. And I've been working on this stuff, you know, through my daughter's first year of life. And I came to this point around like August of last year. And I was like, none of this is making money. And my daughter's like the time, you know, sand is slipping through the hourglass here of my daughter's first years. If it doesn't earn, I ain't working on it. And so I put down all of my software products. And I had been watching this guy post on LinkedIn about how you can make a lot of money off of a cleaning business. And I was like, you know what? This is totally straightforward. Anyone can do this. If I can't make money on this, I'm not going to do entrepreneurship anymore. I'm going to bail and I'm just going to work at my day job and earn my money and hang out with my daughter. Because what's the point of working for free on stuff that nobody cares about? So. I bought this cleaning coaching course. I started a cleaning business. It we actually did pretty well with it. Like we cranked that thing up. It makes between 10 to 15, you know, grosses 10 to $15,000 a month in revenue. I have a like a VA who runs the show, so I don't have to really mess with it that much. And during that time, so Ryan was in the same coaching course that I was in. Hey, are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, just to name a few, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. And Ryan's my business partner for context. 
And he went and started his own cleaning business coaching program and invited me to that program. So half of the reason that I got involved in the coaching business or in the cleaning business was because I was like, I can build my software. That's going fine, but I can't sell my software. So like, I need to learn how to sell. So I started doing this cleaning business as an avenue to teach myself how to sell. And like Ryan has been instrumental in reviewing uh, call tracks and giving me sales pointers on reviewing like pricing and like outbound strategies and all these other, you know, things that are integral to uh, running a good sales organization. So he's been helping me learn the sales trade for, you know, six to eight months. I've learned a ton of stuff about sales from Ryan. Did the fact that he didn't have a college degree ever like stop you from partnering with him? I learned that he did not have a college degree from you. I never gave a crap. I never asked. It never came up. So you're learning the sales aspects, right? What are some business aspects that you're learning from him? Ryan, in the way that he ran the cleaning business, is a fairly ruthless dude. And so like, there's a lot of, uh, like he has had a lot of advice for me on how to keep, like how to structure pricing and payouts and how to handle disputes to keep the cleaning business in the black. It's so important that you partner with someone who can cover gaps because pricing kills businesses. A lot of times Mm -hmm. we want to be nice and we want to be fair, but our definition of fair is bending over backwards for clients who don't care about us. Yeah. Right. And then that, and they're never going to come back. Yeah. And they're never going to come back. They're never going to give you a referral. And I've seen this even myself, right? I'll have people that I charge 800, 1,000, 1,500, 2K for my services. And I spend a, you know, a couple hours with them, a decent amount of time. And, you know, they pay without a blink of an eye. They're like, hey, you know, let me think about it. Cool. They contact me. And then I get other people where I sell services, you know, courses and all that, you know, in the 147 to maybe $300 range. And they're like, I got to think about it. This is a big decision and all that. And it's the reality that a lot of good people start realizing it. And it doesn't make sense to focus on people who are going to question and ask for discounts on lower tier services where you get other people who are like, where do I sign? Here's my checkbook. Here's my credit card number. And they're they're ready to go. So that's one thing that you're going to see. And it's harder to find great quality people who price low because great people either leave because they get frustrated and they're not making enough money or they raise their prices because they're like, hey, I don't want to work all the time. Right. Mm -hmm. I got into business not to work all the time. I got it to actually have some level of freedom because just realize that you're not only working when you're selling, you're working doing the product, you're working on the operations, you're working on the marketing, you're working on the growth. So how has it been developing the product? Like what other value does a salesperson add? Like in terms of user interviews and all that? The thing that caused my other software products to fail. Are you familiar with the lean startup methodology? To a certain extent, yeah. The lean startup methodology advocates that if you're going to build a product, the first thing that you should do is to go out and talk to people about your product and to figure out what they're willing to pay for. And that until you have someone who has made a financial commitment to you or paid you cash directly, you should not put your hands on the on the keyboard. And my greatest failing as an entrepreneur has been putting my hands on the keyboard and not having the balls to go out and ask people to poke holes in my idea before I start writing code. And 
being involved in the sales in like a sales business and working with a lot of salespeople has taught me, is it even teaching? Has helped me to develop the thick skin that's necessary to go and be like, hey, like come and talk to me about, in this case, crappy script that doesn't even work. And I'm going to try to charge you some money for that. Uh, So like the biggest thing that I've learned from like working with Ryan and many of the other salespeople that are involved in these cleaning business communities is to like grow a backbone and go and talk to people and try to sell them your stuff, even when it's complete trash. Yeah, because if you make it better, it's easier to sell. And not only that, but like if if the problem's not big enough and the pain's not bad enough, they're not going to pay. Like, you know, if you have like a fine, well-polished product, that actually doesn't tell you anything very early. Like, I specifically want the early iterations of my product to be bad. I want people to pay for and use a bad product because that tells me how interested they are in solving that problem. Yeah, no, it's true, right? There are some problems that people have, but you got a lot. Hey, you know what? I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to do it this way. And you can't really sell them. It doesn't matter even if it's cheap. Sometimes people are like, hey, I don't, it doesn't make sense. And I advocate for this. Like a lot of people I see, they see a problem. Hey, I need to raise money. 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 But it's like, do you know if people are going to pay for your product? Do you know if people are going to even sign up? Right? They really underestimate it. And then the other thing is a lot of time people have not done the research to see if the solution already exists. I've seen some people try to raise money for solutions that already exist. I've seen people try to raise money for apps that have historically failed. For example, you've probably been to some. The 2-1 is like find local people who have similar interests. That's like every entrepreneur group has someone who does that. And then the other one is like that business card app. And those are the... Oh, God, yeah. Those are the two apps that have historically failed. Now, when someone says that, I'm not going to be the person that gives them unsolicited advice and say, hey, that has failed. So many times, what are you doing that's different? You know what? Because if you're not doing that research yourself to a certain degree, I can't help you, right? And other people can't help you. And honestly, sometimes you have to learn the hard way because if I'm going to start something, I'm going to go look and see, has it been done before? Why has it failed? Okay, it's failed for XYZ reasons. I can do this. This is my differentiating factor. Now, the other thing is find someone who's going to pay. And then one thing I advocate is sometimes you can do your product as a service. You can. Right? And I've seen some people where they offer it as a service at a much higher price, and then they get so much data off the service. Like, for example, I do resumes and interview prep. So I help people. I find out their pain points. I learn about the ins and outs. I did several hundred resumes before I ever published a course. And now in the course, it comes from a place of expertise. I know the issues that people face and I have some credibility. If I created a course without really going through all that and, you know, just doing research, I would just have surface level info. But now because I've actually tested it, I've talked to clients, I know their pain points. I know how to present to them. I know how to talk to them. I can give a more condensed version of what I do. And that's something a lot of people don't do because I always try to think when people ask me advice, I say, forget about raising money, figure out how to make money first, right? Figure out how to solve that problem. Then you think about raising money because this is a different environment. This is not like 2014 
2017, where you could, you know, print out in like app design and raise money off of that. This is, hey, do you have users? Have you had people pay? Have you had people sign up? Have you grown a community? Have you had traction? If you're lucky and you get some investment, they're going to take a huge lion's share and you're going to, oh, yeah. they're going to take a huge lion's share. But now, because you've got to get lucky, right? Now, if you have some traction, you're going to have multiple people who are willing to give you money. And now you can compete. Like, hey, this person's offering me this much, but hey, they're only asking for 20%. This person only asking for 17%. And this makes a big difference because yep. people really underestimate how valuable their you know, startup is. Yeah. I've tried to raise money several times. And even in the 2014 to 2017 time range. And if you ever talk to anyone besides your grandmother, the first thing they're going to ask you is, how much revenue do you have? And the second thing they're going to ask you is, how much traction do you have? And if you don't have either, either one of those things, a savvy investor is going to eat you alive. Yep. If you get any money, it's not going to be a deal you want. It's going to be so bad that it won't even be worth working on the idea anymore. I think you're right. Like raising money before you have traction and before you have revenue, if you can't even convince yourself that your idea is viable, how are you going to convince an investor? It ain't going to happen. It's not. And I tell people, find a way to self-fund it. Because again, when you self-fund it, you're going to learn a lot. You want to be lean. And I find that a lot of people, when they raise money too early, they're not lean at all, right? They waste so much time. They haven't done the research. They haven't learned how to market it. If you can do it lean, the money just adds fuel to the fire. That's right. If you can't do it lean, it doesn't matter how much money you raise, you can always burn it. And I've seen people who work for companies and they've had companies just burn through the money, right? Several million dollars. And that's why like startups have to lay off their entire staff because they have founders who, you know, they knew how to raise money. But at the end of the day, it's like it didn't gain traction. And now they're starting back from square one. Or not starting back at all. Yep, yep. That's the other thing. You see a lot. That happens a lot. Now, do you mind sharing the business that you're working on with Ryan? Not at all. So we're working on Discuss It. Discuss It is a conversation intelligence platform and jests conversation data from multiple sources and then provides you ways to analyze and, and summarize that uh, conversation data. And, you know, we're still learning a lot about our potential clients on this issue, but I'll give you a few examples. Customer service managers who want to write up tribal knowledge that is contained by their current customer service technicians. You can take our tool, you can ingest conversation data from whatever your customer support channel is, and then you can do topic analysis on that conversation data to extract out the topics that are being discussed on your customer support calls. And what we're working on is like being able to analyze topics across a number of conversations and then sort of bubble up information about what your techs are talking about across the organization and then help you like write documentation that codifies the knowledge that your techs have. Another example, product managers who want to understand what their customers' needs are across multiple channels. We can ingest their customer service conversation data, their sales conversation data. We can do that same topic analysis 
And we can start telling product managers and marketers at a high level what they need to be building and selling based on us taking this like soft conversation data and turning it into like hard data that you can actually make decisions on. Wow, that's amazing. How'd you get that idea? By committing the same sin that I described earlier. I have this cleaning business and we run all of our conversations through a phone system called Open Phone. And I was like, I want to take these conversations from my customers and write case studies about the cleans that we do and put them on the website for SEO purposes. So I started writing this service that would ingest data from my phone system so that I could like do AI stuff on it very broadly. Because actually at that point, I had no idea how to ship an AI application. So I was working on that. And I got it to a point where I like had a service stood up that would pull in all the conversation data and transcribe all the phone conversations and like get it all into a system. And I was like, okay, now I have to go and learn how to do AI stuff. So I went and I wrote this script and the script was actually based on one of my earlier failed products. And I was like, I want to take a converse, a technical interview with someone. And I want to figure out what was discussed in that conversation and then write a document about it. So I did a bunch of research and I, and I like learned about the fundamentals of AI and natural language processing. And I wrote a script that did that. And I was like, well, let's just post about this on LinkedIn a little bit and see what happens. So I posted about it on LinkedIn. I was like, I wrote a script and it takes a transcript of a conversation and writes a document about it. If you're interested in that, DM me. And people DM me. And I closed a guy. He paid $5 for the script. I tell people that first dollar is the hardest to make. And the distance from zero to a dollar is a lot. Because that's mm-hmm. the difference between am I going to commit? Right? Anybody can sign that's up right. for a free trial and all that. That's it right. takes someone else, doesn't matter what, to pull out their credit card, to pull out their wallet and say, Hey, because if you can get $5, you can figure out how to get 10. You can figure out how to get 20. And I did. The other thing is, I tell people, you can start packaging it. You can start adding more. You can, from that $5 customer, you can really get a lot of info. You can ask them like, Hey, you used it. How much would you pay? And I've gotten info like that. Like I've offered a service and someone's like, you know what? I would have paid 1500 without a blink of an eye. And now you have some more pricing. Here's the deal, man. After I sold that $5 script, I got on an implementation call with that dude and it failed. Like I could not make it work. I could not deliver. And I spent, I spent the whole weekend putting it behind a, like an application. We redid the implementation call and it still crashed. Like it literally took me a week from my first sale to have something that was usable. But like in the same time, like I closed more customers. And like the idea has, you know, and it's also completely changed the trajectory of like the original thing I'm working on. Cause now what I'm doing is I'm working on taking that MVP with the topic analysis and splicing it onto the thing that ingests conversations from other stuff. So like now, instead of just writing stuff in the closet, I'm writing stuff based on feedback from paying customers. 
That's a completely different deal, man. You cannot ship something that people are going to care about by sitting in the closet and banging on the keyboard. You have to have conversations. And when you get on, you got to get, you got to ask for people's money and you got to ask for more money until they start complaining. And you'll learn way more from customers than you will from anything you read online. Because the fact is online, so many people speak about theory. Oh, it has to be this. It has to be that. It has to be perfect. It has to be all this stuff. But when you talk to a customer, you learn, hey, here's what I want to pay for. And so many people don't do it or they do it too late. And that's why they don't succeed. So talk to those customers. Yeah. If I have to do this again and start over from the beginning, I'm going to talk on LinkedIn and I'm going to book meetings and try to close deals. I write no software. Yeah. Because so many people try to start something and talk to customers. They'll tell you, hey, I need help with this. I need help with this. I need help with this. Now you have a pain point. How do you address that pain point? How much are people willing to pay to have that problem solved? And you'd be surprised that once you come up with a pain point that's big, how much people are willing to pay. Mm -hmm. So what else do you want to share? When I was involved with that building automation startup, we wound up partnering. And I'll go back even a little further. I think when I got out of college, I was like, ascribed some value to the degree that I had. And that changed the way that I perceived other people. When I was involved with that building automation startup, we wound up partnering with this guy who had a PhD in nuclear physics. That guy was a moron. Not only was he a moron, he was like a fundamentally bad person. And that's what made me realize that the degree I had didn't mean anything. And that the degrees that other people had didn't mean anything. And like, you know, for instance, with Ryan, it never came up because I don't even think about it. You know, people and society kind of pushes this concept. But the fact is, it's like, it goes back. Talk to people. You really never know their backgrounds. You don't know what you can learn from them. And once you think that way, your learning significantly increases. Yeah. Even if you back up from that and not even talk about degrees. Yeah, I think this is a great way to end the episode. Thank you so much for your time. I'm really excited. And I know this product will succeed. And that's why those failures are so important because it gets you to this moment. Even if it doesn't, and you know, it only took me seven years, but now I know what to do. So like, if it doesn't succeed, it doesn't actually really matter that much, sadly. Yeah. So let's go, go, fail, learn, but keep on going. Yep. Thanks for having me, dude. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and we'll go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com.